0: Uh, This morning we're in Revelation chapter 3, we're looking at the sixth church that Jesus uh, speaks words of life to and writes a a letter to these uh, believers at Philadelphia. And as we've studied, I I don't know about you, but um, this has just, and this is, by the way, this book, we believe this book is true, and we believe this book is alive. So we shouldn't be surprised that when we, you know, read it again and again and again, that God just continues to show us new things about himself. And he calls us into new places of commitment uh, in our walk with Christ. But um, one of the, one of the uh, realities for me has been, as we've gone through this series, Dear Church, Looking at Jesus' Words to His Churches, has been just really a, a sensed and felt um, an emotional tension, Uh, As we've walked through, and this is what I mean, okay? Every letter, as you've been hearing, if you're brand new, welcome to Redemption Hill. We're thankful you're here. Uh, You're going to hear words from Jesus today uh, as we have them recorded in the Bible. Uh, But but as we've seen each week, uh, every letter starts with Jesus describing himself. So what we have in the very beginning, every single time, has been a vision of who he is. And this vision should absolutely captivate us and inspire us when we understand that Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars. He has authority. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's the church. He's present with us. He has eyes like flames of fire. He has the first and the last word. He is the one who uh, has overcome death and been made alive this is all of who he is, and it should absolutely captivate us and inspire us. But then, as he gets into uh, the kind of heart of the letter, what we find are both encouragements, but also calls to strong action, all right? So, so sometimes we call those exhortations, all right? These are, these are uh, strong calls to action that Jesus gives us. And when we hear, hey, get back to the love you had at first. When we hear be faithful, not just be faithful, but be faithful until your dying breath, even if that means your death because of your commitment to Christ. When we hear hold fast, reject false teaching that leads to false living. When we hear church, I didn't bring my whistle, by the way. I thought about it. I had a whistle last week, and I was waking, I was waking us up. But um, when we hear wake up, Because you're not living fully awakened to the reality of who I am. When we hear these exhortations from Jesus, they jolt us into hopefully alignment with his perfect design for our life. And yet, I don't know about you, but certainly as I'm reading them, and even as I'm sharing them with you, um, I feel the weight of of the call of Christ to, to, to live with this sense of, Complete commitment to him. But then each time the letters end, what we will find is that in every case, Jesus will say to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers. We just sing about we are more than conquerors in Christ, right? That's a promise. Every, every time that the letters end, Jesus unloads promises on us that are designed to comfort us and to help us keep moving forward in the plans that he has for us. And so what I want to do today is I want to shift gears just a little bit. The the hearts of the messages the past 5 weeks have been, hey, action, 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 right? Get back hold fast, be faithful, wake up. But today I want you to hear these words from Jesus. I will. I will. Today, more than anything, I hope that you will receive from God, receive what he wants to speak to you very personally. This is what I love about God, that that there are gonna be more than 200 people in a room and yet God speaks very personally to each heart here. And so my prayer is that you will receive from him today and that these words and these promises will be like, are you ready for this, a big hug, like a big hug from the one who made us. I mean, has, has anyone that you, you really trust, Like you just know that their sincerity, you know where they're coming from, you are absolutely convinced of their love for you. Have you ever had them make a promise to you? When someone makes a promise that you know is trustworthy and they absolutely love you, I told my kids I was going to jump off the stage last week, I almost fell off right there. Um, I was rather fired up last week. By the way, if you missed last week, go back and listen to it. That's just an encouragement there, please do it. Um, but, but when you receive a promise from someone that you know loves you, that, 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 that you can trust, can you not see a level of conviction in their eye? I mean, just think about the physical demeanor of, of someone giving you a promise. There's, there's, there's a conviction in their eye. There's confidence in their voice. There's comfort when they maybe come and put their hand on your back or they wrap their arm around you or they give you a hug just to, to, to reinforce. They are with you and they mean what they say. This is the heart of God towards his people. This is the heart of God toward you today. If you're in Christ and you've received the gift of salvation and the promises that God extends to us. This is what, he, this is what he's pouring out on us today. These letters are loaded with promises. And one of my favorite verses, I just want to, want to start with this today, um, and this came from really when I was in college, college students, I was in college, and my pastor, it was like every single week, like he always found a way to put Second uh, Peter 1, 3, and 4 into his messages. And so just because of his consistency, I couldn't help but learn these verses. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, I mean, write them down and become, please, very familiar with them. Uh, it, It says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, by which, check this out, he has granted to us his very precious and very great promises so that through them, through these promises, you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so the, the promise, here's the point, the promises of God give us life. The promises of God and the truth about, uh, uh, that we know about who he is has given us everything we need for everything we will ever face. This is, this, is, this is why I love being a Christian, right? This is why I love having conversations with people who don't understand w- what the life of Christ is truly about, because, you know, you know, you know how it is, right? Everyone has the perception, oh, uh, you guys go to church, and, you know, like the, the pastor will say some things that you can do, and some other things that you can't do, and it's like this list of do's and don'ts, and that doesn't sound very fun, right? And uh, who wants to sign up for that? And yet, what we find is that Christ revolutionizes everything. He gives meaning and purpose to everything. He puts loads of joy into everything. And He gives us everything that we need for every area of our lives. So just receive some promises today from the heart of God to your heart. Let's read these verses together. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. It's Jesus' words to the church at Philadelphia. Verse 7, this is what Jesus says. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make those them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can somebody say, I will today? I will. How about with a little conviction and passion? I will. I will. All right, let's get those two words in our hearts because these are words from Jesus for us. I want us to to reflect on this letter uh, by receiving four promises Jesus makes to us today, okay? Number one, Jesus says, I will give you complete access, all right? This vision of Jesus that we see in, cha- in, in chapter 3, uh, verse 7, he, he says that he is the holy one. He's, he's perfect in his character. He's completely separated from anything that is not pure and and, and and perfect. Okay, He is also true. He is reliable. But then it says that this holy and true one has the key of David. And with this key, he can open any door and he can... Shut. He can lock any door. And so what, what this imagery about, about the keys and, and the open and shut imagery is saying, once again, that Jesus has complete authority. He, he, has, he has complete authority to do whatever he pleases. The key of, of David, the, this imagery echoes the very words of Isaiah twenty two twenty two when it speaks of of, of a servant there who had the key of of David's house, and he could uh, open or close the royal treasury of the king. And Jesus is saying, look, I, I have the key. I have the keys of the kingdom. Whatever I choose to open will be opened. Whatever I choose to shut will be shut, and no one can do anything about it. Once I open a door, then you can't close that door unless I close it. Once I close a door, no one can open it unless I open it. Jesus has that kind of authority. You say, well, why did he, you know, because Jesus, he's, he's a wise teacher. He's strategic in what he says. He's a good pastor. You know, have you ever thought Jesus is a pastor? He says, I'm the good shepherd. Pastors are shepherds. Jesus is the best, best pastor. He's the chief pastor of this church, by the way. And so when Jesus speaks these words to the Christians at Philadelphia, they're very intentional because they're meeting a very personal need that they had in their experience there. And what was that? Well, more than likely is the fact that uh, the synagogue there in Philadelphia uh, had probably uh, kicked the new believers in Jesus out of the synagogue. They had excommunicated them. They had shut the door. And Jesus says, look, you, you may have had that door slammed in your face. Has that ever happened to you physically or metaphorically, right? It doesn't feel very good, right? Someone shut the door to, to you, and then they shut the door to them. And yet Jesus says, look, I am opening a door for you. I'm opening a door, and no one can ever shut this door. He's giving us, he's he's giving them, and consequently he's giving us, all who look to him, he's giving us complete access to a real relationship with God. Let me try to put this in very plain terms, okay? No one in the room, Pastor Tanner included, deserves to have access to God. God being the perfectly holy, perfectly glorious God that he is, has no business allowing anything that does not honor him into his presence. And guess what? Listen, we have all dishonored God by the way we have lived our life, okay? We have, we have given God a big, like, forget you. We have shut the door in God's face because we say, you know what, God? Hey, you know, you might have some good ideas, but I've got some better ideas here. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna live my life the way that I wanna live. I don't want you to be God over me. I want to be God over me. And so we... Do not deserve to be welcomed into God's house, God's family. And yet, through Christ, through Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he opens the way back to God. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He is our way back to God. He, he, is, he is our point of access. Did you know that when Jesus was crucified, we're about to celebrate Good Friday, just in a couple of weeks, when he was crucified, it says that in the, that very moment, can you believe it, that the earth quaked? The sky went dark for three hours. Jesus dies, the earth quakes, and guess what? The, the, the curtain in the temple, like you see these, these big curtains here, right? You, you see how, how, how big they are, right? Just imagine one taller than this and much thicker than this, all right? It rips into, from top to bottom, into the holy of holy places, the, the, holy, the most holy place. Which you say, like, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the most holy place was the place where the, the high priest could only go one time a year to meet with God face-to-face and to atone for the, peop- the, the, the sin of the people. Okay, In other words, uh, to, for, for there to be a, a covering over, a forgiveness of the people's sin. All of this was to communicate how holy and majestic and glorious God is. So so that, that curtain was communicating, hey, you don't belong in my holy presence unless you beg for forgiveness and come on my terms, not your terms. And yet Jesus tears the veil from top to bottom to give us access to God. Now you, can you believe you? You can have an a real relationship with God, like, like just like a, a, a friend, like, just like the, the very best friend that you have in life, God can become like that and so much more to you every single day. Oh, I hope you know him like that. I hope you're, hope you 're just on the daily just just walking with God like that in such intimate relationship because this is what He made you for. Jesus gives us complete access to God, access that we do not deserve. And then and then not only there's a, there's a second layer to this, okay? With this open door comes complete access to the life of Christ. All right? Here's what I mean. Once we have this relationship with with God through Christ, Jesus comes to dwell in us by his holy spirit. And now we have the privilege and the ability to live life as God has always wanted us to live it. Which includes, by the way, not just keeping this access to ourselves, for ourselves, but it means freely giving what we have freely received. Do you see that? And so I, I agree with uh, New Testament scholar Jim Hamilton when he says the meaning here about, about access, about an open door, is most certainly that they have an opportunity, to check this out, not just to stand firm, but to make advances to take the good news of Jesus into places and hearts where it has not yet reached. Can I get an amen? Is anybody excited about that, right? Wow. Open doors, like Paul says, pray that there would be an open door for me to proclaim the mystery of Christ. It's happening all over the New Testament. Open doors are, 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 are opportunities that God is, is giving us as his people to not keep this to ourselves. If we understand what that access is truly about, we can't help but just invite other people into this same access. And so Jesus says, I will, I will give you complete Access. Then number two, he says, I will have the last word. All right? We see this in verse 9. Look at this. Uh, Jesus says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Did you notice that twice there he says, behold? This is like, pay attention. Look very closely at what I'm communicating to you, all right? Jesus wants to encourage them. And and what he's saying is, look, these people who oppose you, okay? The synagogue of Satan was the the Jewish people uh, in, in Philadelphia. And why Jesus has such strong words is he says, look, they say that they're Jews, but they're not really Jews. Why would Jesus say that? It's because they were Saying they were looking for the Messiah, and yet when the Messiah showed up, they refused to believe in him. And so Jesus is saying, a true Jew is one who is going to believe in me. And so he calls them out. You know, it's, it's not everyone who claims that they have a relationship with God actually has a relationship with God. Don't let that be you today. But he says that that they will they will bow down before these Christians in Philadelphia. Okay, and, and so so what's what's going on here is that what he's saying is that ultimately, everyone who does not believe in Jesus, and these same people who may persecute Christians, who may look down upon them, who may uh, cause Social or emotional or uh, financial or physical harm to followers of Christ because they're followers of Christ. He says that, that, that every person, every person uh, on the face of the earth will recognize who He is, and we all will bow down before him. So this is what Philippians two talks about it when it says, "Therefore, at the name of Jesus, the name that is exalted above every name, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so these, these believers in Philadelphia, they can take heart. They can take comfort that Jesus has the last word, that even though they're up against it right now and, and they're going through difficulty because of these people, that, 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 they, will, that they, don't, they don't have to... Def- to fight back. They don't have to be vindictive, right? They can, they can just trust God because God has the last word. Even, even in spite of the fact, did you catch in verse 8, it says that, that, uh, that they have little power. This is probably referring to the actual size of the congregation in Philadelphia. Probably not a church this big by any stretch, So not only were they not big in size, but consequently, they didn't have much social influence, right? They had little power. And yet, Jesus will often say to us, listen, and maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe you're not being persecuted, but you're just going through a trial or a difficult season. Listen, Jesus says to us in our weakness, in our little strengths, I will make you strong. This is what he promised Paul. He says, look, you have this thorn in your side, a metaphor for some kind of very difficult trial that Paul was facing, and Paul actually prays. That's what Christians do, right? He just praise God. I know, you can, I know you can take this away from me. I know that, I know that you, can, you can heal me, or you can, you can remove this out of my life, this thorn in my side. And he says he prayed three times. We can only imagine with, with great urgency and earnestness. And God says what? My grace is sufficient for you for my power will be made perfect in weakness. That's a promise. That's a promise. And so Jesus promises to have the last word. And I love love how he says that at the end of verse 9, he says that he will make them come and bow down before their feet. And what will they learn? They will learn that I have loved you. And so I know we just, we talk about this a lot at Redemption Hill, but but I just, I think we can't be reminded enough because this is what brings us back into that secret place. This is what helps us take advantage of the access that Jesus has given us. He really, really loves you. He loves you. The first and the best thing that you can do every single day is just let God love you. That's what motivates our obedience. That's what motivates us to fulfill our greatest purpose, which is to to glorify him. But we first have to let him love us. We have to be convinced of of how much God is, is, is with us and for us and has blessed us in Christ. And so Jesus says, I will give you complete access. I will have the last word. Number three, he says, I will protect you. We see this in verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And so this is a notoriously uh, challenging verse to understand. Uh, we see first that uh, this is on the basis of their faithfulness. They've kept the word. They've, even in spite of the difficulty that they're going through, they're, they're persevering, right? We know that life is not easy and being faithful to Christ is, is, it takes a lot of grace, right? To say, Jesus, you are better in this situation. When things aren't going so great, you are better. I'm going to remain faithful to you every single day. But for those who keep his word, he says, says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. And so what is this hour of trial? The hour of trial seems to be the coming intensification of trials and tribulations that are going to occur before Jesus returns. All right? So when Jesus at the end of the gospels, for example, in Mark chapter 13 when he says, hey, these are the signs of the end of the age. Before I come, these things will take place. And he talks about the anticipation of wars and relational strife and natural disasters. And, and he says that, 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 that the world is going to experience this and they're, they're going to suffer uh, the effects of the fall. Jesus says, look, I'm going to keep you through that. I am going to protect you through those difficulties and those trials. And I think we, again, can just be encouraged that this is, this is what love does, right? Love provides what we need, but love also protects, right? So, so love gives us what we need, but love also keeps us from what can harm us. And Jesus just says, my eye is on you. I know what's going on in your life. I'm, I'm going to continue to protect you with my love. I'm going to carry you through your greatest difficulties in life. Do you ever, this is something God's been teaching me the past year, do you you ever stop to think how much God is protecting you from that you have no clue about? Wow. Like, because we can't see it all, right? And yet God is watching over us. Who knows what physical harm, sickness, whatever it may be, God says, I will protect you. Number four, he says, I will give you my presence forever. (laughs) So good. Verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. That's a promise. So he says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. What Jesus is doing here is he is, he is telling them that they will be secure in his presence forever. Forever. This imagery of a pillar, um, you know, most of the pillars that we see are like for decoration these days on buildings. But uh, the the architecture uh, there in the first century, the pillars would have been absolutely essential for the building to remain standing. And so if if the pillar falls, then everything falls down with it. And and this would have spoken to the Philadelphian Christians. Why? Because that area of modern day Turkey is known for earthquakes. And so uh, numerous times in their history, a significant earthquake shook the city and brought great destruction. And yet Jesus says, I will make you a pillar, and I will make you a pillar that stands, and no one will be able to remove you out of my presence. As we think about the story of God, this, the, the, the end of the Bible takes us back to the beginning of the Bible. When, when, when God made man, the first people, Adam and Eve, he made them to dwell in his presence forever, and yet they rebelled against God. And so what did God say the consequences were? In your sinfulness, you can't dwell in my holy presence, right? So he kicked them out of it. He removed them from the garden, No longer may you dwell in my presence because of your sin. Now because of Christ, he has turned that narrative upside down. Now we have complete access. We will dwell with God forever in his perfect presence. And and, and all of these promises, by the way, to be be a pillar and to, uh, I don't know if you have tattoos. I'm waiting for the new Jerusalem to get mine. You know what I'm saying? Because it says right here, My God, new Jerusalem, new name of Jesus that no one knows. He stamps it on us. This is our identity in him. We are known to belong to him. To where now no one can remove us from his presence because of his great love for us. And so I just want to ask you today, I want to ask you have you received the gifts that God offers us? Have you received his gift of complete access? Are you experiencing his His protection, knowing that he has the final word and all things? Do do you know for certain that you will spend eternity in his presence? If, if, If that's not you yet, and you're not confident about that, it's as simple as as recognizing everything that I've been talking about. That God made you for himself. That he wants to spend eternity with you and and have a relationship that begins right now. That he offers this this gift of love and forgiveness to, to where now you can be confident of your eternal destiny. So if you've never turned to to God through Christ and the gift that he offers you, then do that today. Do it today. Call on his name today. Receive the promises of God. But as I I move our time to a close, as we think about these these great promises of God, I want to ask us this, this one question. How should we respond To the promises of Christ. How how do we hear the I will, I will, I will, I will, and then move out in confidence and and comfort and and living the life that God has called us to live? It's pretty simple. We respond to the I will of Christ by saying, I will back to him. Right? You see what happens when like cuz here this is the reality all right? This is the reality church. Okay? We will either hear these promises and they will move us and we will receive them and we will bank our lives on these promises. We will claim them. We will live our lives on the promises of God. We will live differently or we will just let them kind of hang out there, and, right? So, so we, have to, we have to claim them for ourselves, and we have to say, God, you have said, I will. I am saying back to you, I will. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what he says. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus Christ. That is why through him, through Jesus, we utter our amen, our yes, back to God for his glory. And so th- th- this, is, this is how it works, okay? I want, you to, I want you to really just grasp this and then just receive and then move and live on this, this, this truth that I want to share with you, okay? So, so the promises of God lie in the future, right? They're out there. And so if you're a visual person, I'm sorry, I didn't put this on the screen. I okay, be like, you can just put an arrow out there for what lies ahead in the future. When we when we claim the promises of God, when we live on the promises of God, what happens is because we're confident of those promises, it motivates how we live right here in the present. You see that? So I'm just, I don't know if this is helpful to you, but I'm just like thinking about this forward arrow, it as I see these promises, it helps me live with this down arrow of like the, where my feet are actually hitting the ground, how I'm living today. I'm living based on these promises. And yet, why I can be so confident... To know that God is faithful and he's going to keep his word and he's going to do everything that he said that he's going to do in the future is because I look back and I see how he's been faithful to keep every single one of his promises to this day. And so what I'm trying to say is is that uh, we need to put, as one pastor calls it, faith in future grace because this future grace motivates us to present action. That's our I will based on the I will of Christ that we have seen so many times in the past. And so this is how that, that pastor puts it. He says this, this faith in future grace is the motive for obedience Obedience comes from trusting God for more grace, future grace, and thus magnifying the infinite resources of God's love and power. Faith looks to the promise. I will be with you wherever you go, Joshua 1.9. And then it ventures in obedience to take the land. Do you see that? Does anybody want to take some land for Jesus Christ? In 2019, sign me up. The biblical role of past faith, past grace, especially the cross is to guarantee the certainty of future grace. And this is how Paul puts it in Romans eight. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all that's past grace. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see that that's future grace. We see past grace. That gives us confidence for future grace. And as we have confidence in future grace, I will be with you. I will empower you. I will give you everything you need for life and godliness. Then that changes the way I live today. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live a weak life. I can live a life loaded with love, loaded with joy, loaded with peace when anxiety swirls all around and everyone else in my workplace or my school or my classroom or my family is anxious. I can have the peace of God that rules my life because of the future promises of God. He goes on to say, but trusting in future grace is the motive and strength of our obedience. The more we trust in future grace, the more we give God the opportunity in our lives to show the glory of his inexhaustible grace. And then he says this, so take a promise of future grace and do some radical act of obedience on it. God will be mightily honored. I hope you hear the argument. Past experiences of grace build confidence for future grace. And so if you have experienced the grace of God in Christ, and how, because you think about Jesus and you think about his cross and you think about his resurrected life and you think about how he gave you that as a gift, I don't see how it doesn't wake us up and get us back to our first love and, and a full commitment of faithfulness to him. Now to say, God, I see what you've done. Now I'm going to live differently today and tomorrow. And so what I want to encourage you to today is to make a bold declaration to take a step of radical obedience by putting your I will on the I will of Christ. I mean, I said it last week, and I just want to say it again because I don't think we can hear it enough, you know? I- I'm, I- I'm, so, I'm so done. I'm so done. This is for me personally, but this is for the church, right? Because this is for every follower of Christ. I am so done with Christians living a mundane life. And cry. Like, this is an adventure. He's calling us to step out in faith. He's calling us to do something great. He's calling us to lay aside our selfishness and to serve someone. He's calling us to take the access that we've received and to go actually share that with someone else. And we don't have to be afraid. Yeah, we might get rejected. Someone might shut a door. But guess what? God makes a way. He opens doors so we can move forward in faith and confidence that God has the power to do what he wants to do in our lives. Who's ready to say, I will? I will live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I will do everything that God asked me to do and to put off the things that dishonor him. I will move in love toward others to tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Yes, I will. I will keep hoping. I will keep trusting in your promises. I will keep living the resurrected life. I will keep expecting great things from you. I will keep praying. I will keep opening up my Bible. I will keep living in community with the people around me. I will keep encouraging someone. Yes, I will. I want to ask Dan to come up, and he's going to. Lead us in a song that's a declaration. It's a, it's a remembrance of the promises of God, but it's also a declaration. It's very, this very uh, words. Yes, I will. And so I want you to receive it today, but I want you, as you learn the song, this is a new song for us, but as you, as you learn the song, that, that you would make it your own personal declaration. God, today I am receiving your promises so that I can move out in faith and respond to your I will with my own. I will for the glory of your name. And so let me lead us in a time of prayer and then I'm gonna ask you to respond to God as he leads you today to put your I will on top of his I will. So Father, thank you. Thank you for what we've heard from your word and how you're speaking to us through the words of Christ and revelation. And Father, we... We're so amazed that you would love us. We're so amazed that you would give us access, that you would keep walking with us and protecting us and giving us everything we need, Lord, that that we have your presence forever, but we have your presence right now. And so, Father, would you even now fill us with your Holy Spirit, empower us to live the lives that you've called us to live. Oh God, would you you fill us in such a way that that in this Easter season where people are more receptive to Christianity or coming to church, Lord, that you would move us out fully convinced of your promises, fully convinced of your promises, Lord, to love them as you have loved us. So God, we celebrate the fact that not one of your promises has ever failed. We celebrate today that you are 100% faithful. And God, we say in light of your faithfulness, yes, we will. Oh God, even now help us to sing, help us to, to stick into our souls so that we can move out and live for your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen.